grew up in a church like I did, where at the end of every sermon, there was what we call the altar call. Just exactly. As I am. There were about eight or ten <laughs> songs, almost persuaded, just as, and if the Spirit was really moving, you sang more than one of them, right? Really? Oh, I, you've I've, never done well, more I, than one invitation? I did six in? verses of Just As I Am. Yes. Yeah. And then sometimes we'd rotate it through a second round of them, you know, if. If it was revival week, well, I mean, if it was revival week, did you ever have those guest guest speakers that would not stop until someone Somebody came, came down for it? And on occasion, I was the one person that was like, "Please, <laughs> if this, it requires we'll me this to service go out of its misery." Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we make light of it, but you know, th- this is we're we're in our series. Uh, and my name is Dan, and I'm with Ben. We're the teaching pastors at Life Fellowship in suburban Charlotte, North Carolina, and we're in the middle of series series of you say it because why do we do that? No, no, no. You got to say it like you said. It before it was really cool. Really? Yeah, you said it. Kind Why of, do we do that yeah, here yeah. at Life Fellowship? Yeah, perfect, perfect. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but we we've been in this series. We've talked about everything from baptism to church membership and other things, and we'll continue with some more in the future. But today we're talking about why do churches have altar calls? Now, ben, you and I we grew up very similar. Wait, can I just stop right mm-hmm. there? Now, if someone didn't grow up in church and you just said altar call, what do you think? someone who didn't grow up in church thinks about when they hear well, altar call. They may think of something Catholic-y, <laughs> or they may think of something, you know, from Indiana Jones. I mean, just, it's just such a... Where we sacrifice the virgins. I mean, to me, it's kind of like, I get it. Like, I, I I understand what we're talking about, but it's just one of those those subculture language things yeah. that, that it really... It, if you don't grow up with it, you have no idea what's, yeah, what's being it, talked it, about it, right it, now. Yeah, well, and we need to do an episode of Life Talk someday on weird things evangelicals say. <laughs> you know, there are so many of yeah, you know the, yeah, the weird we things that it's kind of like our secret code language. Yes, absolutely. So let me give a brief history then of where altar, altar calls are not uh, a part of the. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's just say they're not a part of the overall history of the church. No, altar calls were popularized during the Second Great Awakening. Yes. They yes. began emerging a little bit after the First Great Awakening, but really became popular in the Second Great, second great Awakening when, when evangelists and popular preachers like Billy Sunday, Charles Finley, D.L. Moody, um, Spurgeon on the British side of the, the pond, um, they began preaching these citywide movements. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the greatest American revivalist in terms of his impact and perhaps to some level his extent, extent during the second Great Awakening. First Great Awakening was marked by Whitfield and Wesley. Yeah, and, and, and they and, and the Puritans. what's interesting is they never the the philosophy of the First Great Awakening with with those guys was very much we'll know who's a believer in about a year. Yeah, like that's how they. they but even but even. Uh, Jonathan Whitfield, when was it Jonathan? George Whitfield. Whitfield. George Whitfield, when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yeah, I mean, they it, would describe people holding onto the pews yes. for fear that they were going to slip into hell. There, I mean, there was yeah. definitely a response, yeah. but there was never a come for. I mean, the whole idea of coming forward was the idea of we can we can count and we can measure success. Yeah, and this is this was largely the brainchild of Finney. Finney was so, the. So, Yes. Yeah, he was the author of, and and it became emotional and manipulative yeah. to some extent. And toward the end of his life, he kind of repented of it. Yeah. But um, he would build a big tabernacle mm-hmm. in a city, and then um, in order to keep the dust down, they would put sawdust down mm-hmm. um, because the grass would eventually die; it would dry, and sometimes the, the the thing would be there for months, even years. They would use it 
over and over again, but they didn't have a floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, they were built in such a way, had a lot of air, you know, air ventilation in them, but he would say, now it's time to hit the sawdust trail. The sawdust trail was the trail that led from your pew to the, yeah. the altar, which is the front of the church where people would come and bow and pray. Yes. Sometimes even before the sermon started, people would be invited to come up and pray yes. for their sanctification. Yeah, or it, for. It, and what I, what I learned is that the altar was really came from the Anglican side because it was a you know they had that bar that that wooden bar there in in the early Methodists that that started preaching revivals you know they had that altar there and that's where you would receive communion and those kinds of things but they yeah. use that as a come forward to well and I mean and there's some um, interaction with the legal process for instance you could come up to the bar but not go across the bar. Mm. Um, that's where, like, uh, to be a lawyer, yeah. you have to pass the, the bar, bar exam. Yes. And then you can go from one side of the bar to the other side of the bar. On one side of the bar, you're an observer. On the other side, you're a participant. Yes. So crossing the bar, mm. um, and I learned that from my friend who worked with the Supreme Court. <laughs> so that's the idea. Well, there was that same idea. Yeah. You could approach the altar, but the pastor was on the other side the of the bar. The holy of holies. Yeah, on the other side of that. And you were not to cross that. <laughs> well, the, the other, you could engage with him. The other thing that they had that I found out was this thing called the the anxious bench. Did you hear about this? No, this is new. So this is what they had was called the anxious bench. And you would have people that you would invite people there that, you know, were really struggling with sin or going through a hard time. And really a lot of the revivals that they would be preaching to us, Finney especially, was they would, they would, I mean, hellfire and brimstone, you better repent because you're on the anxious bench. Yeah. And so- We should have one today called the anxiety bench. (laughs) (laughs) But the anxious bench are people that were really wrestling with God and wrestling with sin and and were unsure about their life. I mean, they're already halfway to making a decision, but that's what they- that's what they consider the anxious yeah, bench. Yeah, and many of the great revivalists had a rhetorical skill that would allow them to paint imagery uh, that caused a dramatic uh, response Absolutely. Uh, in, in the hearts. It, it, it would appeal to emotion. People would cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they would wail. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, would, they would feel what was characterized as conviction, mm-hmm. which was assumed to be something that the Holy Spirit was doing in someone's life that was a part of calling them to Christ, urging them to repent of their sin, and a brokenness. Yeah. And they, they would use phrase, phraseology like, uh, you know, being broken yes. before the Lord. Yeah. So all, all of these were, were part of that. Um, and, and, and perhaps the greatest revivalist of American history, uh, the one who turned this into, you know, one of the most common expressions was Billy Graham. Oh, absolutely. I, I, we would not... I don't think we would see. It's been a part of the landscape since eighteen the eighteen thirties, but I don't think it would have been. I don't think it would still be here today if it was not for Billy Graham. Yes, and audience, I'm going to give you a gift right now. What I'm going to ask oh. Pastor Ben to do. How I would can't Billy? Do, Gra- yes. Oh, you can. Do I can't under, do it on this under, pressure. You can do it. Yes, you can. Ben does a <laughs> wicked Billy Graham impression, so I want you to hear it. What would he say at the at at the end of the services? Uh, he would say something like. Um, you need to come forward because if you want Jesus, your friends will wait for you. The bus will wait for you. But Jesus wants you to come forward now. And let me tell you, I want Chick-fil-A too. And I'm hungry. I've been preaching for an hour. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> there are people who are listening to this while they're driving to work, and they're just driving off the road right now. I love, I love Billy Graham. Billy yeah, Graham's one of my we're favorite. We're not mocking him, but he I mean, it's funny now but too. he he was he was brilliant at it. And, and I think that one of the things that I 
here's my here's where I wrestle with with the altar call, Dan. Here's where I'm on because Finney's entire he it was this was a theological this was this was a practice that was based out of a theology that believed in what what theologians call semi-Pelagianism. He did not believe in the total depravity of man. He believed that man's nature was still somewhat good. It was man's will that was fallen. And if we if if you put people under the right circumstances and had the you know the right you know whatever you could get people to respond. So the whole idea is the response was going to happen if we put people in the right environment. And 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 here's where I know I'm jumping ahead of myself. There, that same kind of thinking is in, is alive today in many churches. If mm-hmm. we give people the right lighting, the right mood, the right songs, the right pep talk, we can get people to move and and make a decision and come for. I mean, it's just like it's really scary. So to and, me, and and this is where I have my conflict. I mean, and and Finney was master of this as right. well. And and but I mean, I was literally taught this in Bible college. Your invitation hymn should be up to beat. You sh- you should ask your workers to come forward because it creates motion from the back to the front. It's so Billy manipulative. Gr- Billy Graham would train people to do that. Stephen Furtick does the same thing. Okay, so Ooh, you name names. I name names because <laughs> I mean it's it's public record. I know, I know. So, but, but he, he got in trouble for doing that yeah, but, earlier. But here here, I I think that crosses the Gulf. All right, I think we're in unsound, unbiblical territory there. Yeah, but. If we had done a debate, I don't know whether I would have been for or against because there are parts of an altar call I think are important. For instance, if someone is at that moment under— They're, they're ready for a decision. They're, they're ready to say—and I think we all need to get to a point where we're confronted. Yeah. You know, it's it's like when you're selling something, and again, gospel isn't being selling, <laughs> but successful salespeople finally get to the point and say, are you willing to sign the contract? Mm-hmm. I think every one of us needs to get to a point— are you willing to give yourself to Christ? Mm-hmm. The Bible says, you know, today is the day of salvation. Yeah. We can't we cannot presume that we'll have another opportunity tomorrow. We could get killed on the way home. And and I think an overreaction to the excesses of altar calls mm-hmm. is to never bring people to a point where they say, you need it, you got the truth. Are you hearing from God? Then do something with it. There's never this moment where we call people to action. And I think that's important. At the same time, you and I have both been in services where it becomes a manipulative thing. It stretches on. We tell sad stories. We tell about the guy who got killed on the way home, (laughs) and then he spent the eternity in hell because he didn't come forward on that last verse. Use fear, use manipulation, use emotion. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, but I do do think – I wrote down a pros and cons list for – Really? Yeah. Good. I only have one thing for pros. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I'll I'm not I'm not anti-altar call, right? I'm anti-altar call for for the sake of doing it. And I'm anti-altar call for the sake of trying to measure success and manipulate something that the Spirit of God is not doing. On that we are okay? absolutely agree. So, so I, I do think here's the pro. The pro I have is it gives people an opportunity to, to respond— if the Holy Spirit is working in their heart. That, to me, is the best part of an altar call, okay? It helps people make, uh, you know, do something. If they are saying, I'm ready to accept Christ, you give people that opportunity. I think there is something where some people, there's never, like we share, this is what the gospel is, but if there's never this, and would you like to, would you like to receive Christ today? You can do that today. Like, there's never, a lot of times we don't hear that. 
a lot, you know? But here's here's my cons list, all right? I think that what we are aware of is that emotionalism and many times even the environment can lead people to do, make a decision that's rooted more in their own feelings than it is in the Holy Spirit. I think that's one of the major dangers of this. I think the other thing is that going forward does not make you saved. Okay, with the idea that many people would use the I came forward during a service or my my son Johnny at five years old went forward during VBS and they they hold on to the act of going forward as the actual means of their salvation as opposed to this this external act is nothing about it, it's not about that, it's about the faith in Christ. So many people are I I, I think what happens is you muddy the waters of what am I putting my faith in? Am I putting my faith in the the public act of walking down and doing something, even if I was crying at that moment, or is my faith simple? Is my faith faith the act I'm putting my faith in? Is it what Christ did for me? Right. So I think sometimes that can muddy the waters of what am I putting my faith in mm-hmm. for people. Um, and, and the and and the other thing that I think is very dangerous is it gives people a false assurance. Right, I mean, the idea is well, if you went forward, you're in, and and to me, it's I I would more fall in line of, I think it's important. I I know myself, I have went forward during services and I've had made important life decisions in my life. I've done that before, right? I, I would not be in ministry today if not for an invitation to be, to one full time ministry. But I I also think that when it comes to salvation, many times people hold on to that false assurance of, I went forward, and so those are the those are all the dangers. I'm, you know, I, I just think we need to be aware of all of the things that that people can do to mess this whole thing up. But a moment of pushback. Let's bring it, man. We just turned into a debate episode. I didn't even think about well, it. Because, I mean, I think this is, for, for, first of all, we keep using the term altar call, but you also use the term invitation, which is what we called it in my church. We yeah. didn't call altar call. We called it invitation. Yeah. And the idea was we invite you to respond right. to what God is doing in your heart and your life right time, which is a little gentler than an altar yeah, and, call. Yeah, and... and, and I'm not against altar calls. I mean, we have one at church. Every, I mean, at Sunday, we say, hey, go see someone. I mean, I invite people to respond. We might not have them come yeah. forward. So but a moment of response a, is one a that moment we of would response. use here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it think was good. But I, I've known people who point to the moment of surrender and salvation. Yes. Whenever they went, they were they were in their living room and Billy Graham was saying, yeah. y'all come. Yeah. And, and they dropped on their knees at that moment, broken and cried and wept and trusted Christ. Yeah. So I, I don't want to be dismissive. God can use a variety of our methods. I th- and this is where I think it's so important that we be thinking Christians and be wary of human nature to drive for numbers and power and, mm-hmm. and all these things mm-hmm. and, and to use manipulation. We've got to have this tension mm-hmm. in in us that says, I want to give people the invitation, but I understand this is a work of God, not a right, work of right. Dan or Ben yeah. or Nan or I, I mean, listen, my dad accepted Christ by going forward at a Youth for Christ camp really? in, in Western New York. He was he was 16, 15 years old and someone invited him to you know this camp where there was going to be baseball. And so he went there and he, during one of the sermons, the preacher that was up preaching, you know, salvation message, and he, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand, and then when they sang the invitation song, 
and someone tapped him on the shoulder to go forward. I mean, he he was he wanted to, but he was a little nervous in that he someone just tapped him on the shoulder and he immediately went forward and accepted Christ. But and I just think like I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that my dad responded to the gospel that night. Yeah, th- which kind of brings up another tactic I'm mm-hmm. going to use. Um, perhaps strategy would be a little gentler that I've seen revivalists use mm-hmm. that I really struggle with, and that is the mass prayer. Are you familiar with Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. this is the one where the the pastor, preacher, revivalist, evangelist, whatever, gets up and he says, look, if you want to go to heaven, here's what I want you to do. Look at me right now, and I want you to repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I want you to forgive my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you really mean that in your heart? If you did, your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. So you've said mm-hmm. the magic prayer, mm-hmm. and you can have... I've known people to do that, and that was the moment of repentance for them, but mm-hmm. I have known far more people that said the magic prayer, and then they went back out, and they just lived the way right, they've always right. lived. And and so this is – and, you know, people are different. I'm You know, I'm at a stage in my life, and there was a different – I've had such a complex life. When I was young, I would have been the guy that would have – responded to emotion very easily. Mm-hmm. It was a simpler. Mm-hmm. As I've gotten older, I know this comes as a huge shock to you, Ben, but I've grown <laughs> cynical in my old age. And you probably couldn't <laughs> pry me out of a pew now with a crowbar. <laughs> um, at, at the same, and, and, and I think we also need to realize that in different contexts, mm-hmm. emotion is an integral part of their spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe there Emotions are, aren't bad. Right. There are the Nicodemuses in the yeah, world yeah. who want to talk privately. Mm-hmm. And and so my my conclusion on this is let's don't let's don't neglect the work of God in the lives of individuals that may be unique to them. Yeah. I agree. So, so altar agree calls may be the case, yeah. private conversations may be the but the ultimate thing is every one of us have a responsibility with what we're going to do with truth. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'll never forget on the other end of the spectrum, I went to a, a English, I was in England about 10 years ago with my wife and we went to a church service and they, it's really interesting how when they ended the service, the pastor got done preaching and then he sat down and then the little organ played for like three minutes. It was just silent. I mean, silence for three minutes. People just were, were just contemplating the sermon that was just just spoken, and I'm just looking around like it. It felt eerie. Like, what are we supposed to do here right now? You know. But the whole idea was contemplate and think about your life in light of what was just spoken. It's a different kind of response. I just bring that up because culturally, I think there's things that are cultural to our American church experience right. that we really right. it doesn't happen anywhere else. And altar, you know what I'm saying? altar calls are really an American They invention. are a very American thing. And so I think that we need to understand is uh, just because we do it here in America that way doesn't mean it's, like I said, it doesn't mean it's biblical. That's my hope. That's Well, and, and I think this is an important thing to say because we have a wide variety of people who listen to this mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm. You and I were part of a church staff where, and, and I don't even know if you were aware of this, but I had a series of deacons that hammered me. Anytime I did not have a formal altar call, yeah. and they kept. Well, I remember I was yeah I was on yeah. staff every Sunday. You stand up front. I could yeah. sing the song that we that you played every single Sunday. Yeah. And they and and but and and they would say, well, you need to do this to get more people to respond. You should say this. You should. And there was this. And this is during that portion of my own journey where I'm thinking, 
I'm not convinced that this yeah. is the right thing to do. I, I think this feels to me like a tradition mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. culture is changing and, yeah. and I think there's a better way to yeah. do this. I would say this, and we don't have formal altar calls at our church, mm-hmm. so this is a, a deal. But if you do go to a church that does it, don't make, the, like on our last membership, you know, where people Episode, leave churches yeah. for dumb reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you leave the church because the pastor doesn't do an altar call every Sunday or because he doesn't do it the way you think he should, yeah. I think you're leaving for a poor reason. Absolutely. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Ben, I'm glad you introduced this topic. Yeah. I think— I think It's interesting. These are interesting. You may see it differently than we do, and certainly you are absolutely— uh, free to you know to uh, pursue Christ uh, according to the dictates of your conscience within the confines of the Word of God, but I hope we've given you some things to think about. Mm. As always, we appreciate the fact that you listen in with us here at Life Talks. I hope that you'll spread the word if you would let people know about us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can always find us on our webpage at lifecharlotte.com. So spread the word, ask people to join you, and as always, thanks for listening to us here at Life Talks. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.